Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. You know... They are damn well not ever going to admit that they've made a mistake. Soon some evidence came to light that would blow this whole thing right out of the water. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. Now today is part two of Malcolm Burroughs. If you haven't listened to part one, you need to go back, listen to last week's episode, or you're going to have no idea what we're talking about. So we're going to keep this intro super, super short because we want to jump right back into the story. But first, we have to know, what day is it, Billy? Today is December 16th, which is National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. Oh, that's a very exciting day for everyone. Have you ever had chocolate covered grasshoppers? No. Have you? I have, yeah. All right, well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. In 2017, Tennessee's Knox News wrote, Adam Clyde Brasile clocked out of work, borrowed his mother's car, and headed to the mountain for a weekend of four-wheeling with friends. He took about a 45-minute break in between to lure an old man from home in the dark, beat him to death by the roadside, steal his wallet, and try to silence an eyewitness. He made it to his next stop in time for a late supper. The prosecution cited motive for his killing as robbery, proven by the fact that the victim's wallet was missing from the scene. This is the argument that convinced a Grundy County jury to send Adam Brasile, then 24, to prison for life for the killing of six-year-old Malcolm Burroughs. There was no forensic evidence tying Adam to the crime, and all the case hinged on was eyewitness testimony. Watching the saga unfold from the sidelines was Karen, our first degree, who we still have with us today. Karen had known Malcolm Burroughs for most of her life, and she was friends with, and on the same cheer team as, Adam Brasile's sister in high school. After becoming a journalist, Karen also covered the 2007 trial of Adam Brasile, which resulted in a guilty verdict.
When Adam was shipped off to prison, his story didn't end. In fact, years after he began his sentence is when things in his case really started heating up. By 2011, Adam had served a little more than four years in prison, and he consistently maintained his innocence. Adam matched the physical description of the attacker that surviving victim Becky Hill and her son Kirk had described to police. And he also had that gold car. And to top it off, Adam had a white baseball cap in the vehicle just like the one seen on the assailant. So, with the presence of so many alignments, how could Adam Brasile not be the right person behind bars? The family of Malcolm Burroughs and Becky Hill believed that justice had been served, that Adam was exactly where he belonged as punishment for taking Malcolm away from them. I think that because Becky and Kirk had ID'd Adam, that they were satisfied that the right person was in jail, and they they went about their lives. Tragically, John Burroughs, Malcolm's brother, died a few years later in a car accident. Becky also passed away a few years later. The family just continued to be marred by tragedy after this happened. I think the general public also, at least for a time, believed that the right person had been convicted and started to move on. However, Adam Brasile's family was certain that an incredible miscarriage of justice had occurred. And they did everything they could to support Adam from behind bars. While Adam was in prison, he really did try to make the most of his time, even though he claimed he didn't belong there. He worked in the prison garden, and he took part in the prison ministry. And he did everything he could to stay connected to his life on the outside, including calling home every night. Adam and his sister Christina were particularly close, and Christina refused to give up on Adam's innocence and helped to lead a social media campaign in an effort to draw as much attention to her brother's case as possible. Surely, if they made enough noise, someone would eventually listen, right? Adam, as many people will do, whether or not they're innocent, he just continued to protest his innocence. And his sister, Chrissy, would not stop fighting for him. She just continued to fight. She wrote letters. She started campaigns on social media. In 2011, Adam's defense attorney filed an appeal on his behalf. And this appeal was based on several things, including insufficient evidence to convict, as well as the problems with the photo lineup that was used when Becky Hill and her son Kirk positively identified Adam Brasile as the person who killed Malcolm, citing that it was unduly suggestive. And there'll be more on this later. But for now, all you need to know is that to the dismay of his family, the Supreme Court ultimately denied Adam's appeal. There's no denying that the cogs of our justice system move at a snail's pace. It's a lot easier to be convicted of a crime you didn't commit than it is to be exonerated when you're actually innocent. And there wasn't a second appeal filed on Adam's behalf until 2015, which is four years later. And the basis of this second appeal attempt hinged on ineffective assistance of counsel. Adams' then-attorney argued, among other things, that Adams' attorney during the trial should have filed a motion to suppress the photo lineup in Adams' case. To put it simply, the claim here was that Adams' original counsel should have challenged the eyewitness ID, and they didn't. And remember, all they had was the eyewitness ID to convict, which they ultimately did. So following this appeal hearing, 
the Brasile family was cautiously optimistic. And when the judge's ruling came back, they were overjoyed to learn that Adam's appeal was granted. Judge Angel ruled that the jury relied on inconsistent eyewitness accounts of Becky Hill and Kirk Braden to convict Adam. And remember, Becky was the second victim who survived her attack, and Kirk was her son who intervened and saved her. On top of that, the judge determined that the forensic evidence that was collected did not actually match Becky and Kirk's stories. Judge Angel threw out the guilty verdict on Christmas Day of 2015 and ordered that Adam Brazil get a new trial. So then, after nine years, Adam walked out of prison as a free man. The news of Adam's release caused quite the stir in the community. Understandably, family and friends of Malcolm Burroughs were horrified. But those who supported Adam were stoked. They'd been trying to make this happen for years, and finally progress was being made. However, a path to freedom for Adam was far from guaranteed and would be an uphill battle. And this is because the court would eventually totally reverse and remand the judgment of the post-conviction court, which meant that all of Adam Brasile's convictions were reinstated. So in layman's terms, this means that 10 months after Adam's release, the Tennessee State Court of Criminal Appeals reversed the decision and sent Adam right back to prison. And by this point, more and more members of the public were beginning to come around to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, there was something fishy about Adam's conviction. However, what people bumped on primarily was the whole red hair, gold car thing. People really struggled with this. There were simply too many things pointing to Adam as being the person that Becky and Kirk had seen the night of the crime. The district attorney's office appealed and Adam was sent back to prison. You know, they are damn well not ever going to admit that they've made a mistake. Soon some evidence came to light that would blow this whole thing right out of the water. Karen isn't wrong. Because what would soon come to light about how the original case against Adam will anger, sadden, and terrify you. After all, if this could happen to Adam, this could happen to anyone. We always say this. It could be you. It came to light that the wrong Officer Brown had testified at trial. There was a Mike Brown and a Troy Brown. Troy Brown had testified in court that he had made the report at crime scene. Okay, so let's clarify what Karen is saying here. Remember when we walked you through the night of Malcolm's murder unfolded in part one? So when the police initially went to the crime scene at Malcolm's house, an officer named Mike Brown reported to the scene. So he was also the one who discovered Malcolm's body shortly down the road from where his sister Becky had been attacked in his home. So now let's shift the focus to Adam Brasile's 2007 trial. A wise assumption would be that this responding officer, Mike Brown, would have been an important testifying witness. After all, you know, he was the first on the scene. He discovered the body. He took photos, wrote reports, and cataloged evidence. But you'll be surprised to hear that Mike Brown was not called to the stand at all. In fact, Mike Brown was not even notified that Adam's trial was taking place because at this point, Mike Brown was working for a different police jurisdiction altogether. But there was an Officer Brown that was called to the stand to testify in the original trial. An Officer Troy Brown. This is interesting. When news of Adam's appeal battles hit the news, 
Officer Mike Brown had learned of what had become of Adam. And he was perplexed about not being summoned to testify in the trial. But when he learned that Officer Troy Brown was called to testify in his place, he was shocked. In fact, everyone was. How did this happen? Was this an oversight or a deliberate move by the prosecution to prevent Mike Brown from testifying? But why? Okay, to answer this, let's rewind for a second back to the original trial in 2007. It was November of 2007 in a Grundy County courtroom. And one of the state's first witnesses was called to the stand, a Sergeant Troy Brown. Sergeant Brown took the stand, and the prosecution asked him how much he knew about the Malcolm Burroughs murder. Sergeant Brown looked confused and responded, a little. He was only on the stand for a few moments. The next person to take the stand was Deputy Andy West. His testimony was much more lengthy and included several references to Sergeant Brown in terms of his role within the Malcolm Burroughs investigation. Deputy West gave hearsay testimony about what was alleged to have happened the night of the murder. He talked about following Sergeant Brown from Burroughs' house to the scene. Deputy West stated that he got out of the car and saw Brown find the body. And on the stand, he was saying things like, I waited for Sergeant Brown and I saw Sergeant Brown find the body. So I'm sure people were confused about why Sergeant Brown himself, who had taken the stand minutes prior, said he only knew a little about the case. If this officer was speaking like Sergeant Brown handled the case on his own from top to bottom. So here is maybe where you can piece together what's gone wrong here. They were talking to and about the wrong Sergeant Brown. Troy Brown was not at the scene on the night of the Malcolm Burroughs homicide. And, you know, again, people there must have thought this was very weird that Sergeant Brown on the stand, Sergeant Troy Brown, was denying knowing anything about this case because why would the officer who responded to the scene not know anything about the case? And who would think that the wrong Officer Brown would be called to the stand? Because it seems like an impossible mistake to make. And of course, that's true. But the thing is, more than likely, this wasn't a mistake. And if you recall from our first episode on this story, the responding officer to the scene of the crime was Mike Brown. So either a mix-up or a deliberate sort of um, bait-and-switch here Who's to say? I guess we'll see how it plays out. Even more disturbing about this whole thing is that this oversight had not even been identified during Adam's appeals process. For example, here's an excerpt from Adam's 2010 appeal denial. Three judges who weighed in on Adam Brasile's appeal, who presided over Tennessee's highest criminal court of appeals, wrote the following when they rejected Adam's plea for a new trial. Quote, Sergeant Troy Brown with the Franklin County Sheriff's Department later spotted the body of Mr. Burroughs lying face down in the woods approximately six to eight feet from the Chrysler. So even the judges are citing and referencing Troy Brown, the wrong officer, in their rulings. Maybe this is because these judges made the assumption that the officer who testified in the original trial, Troy Brown, was in fact the investigating officer. And this very much should have been the case, but it wasn't. And somehow this egregious error slipped through the cracks on every level. 
So this is really, really bad. Clearly, the prosecution calling the wrong Officer Brown to testify is disastrous. It's a travesty for Adam, and now you're probably thinking that the botching of Adam's case couldn't possibly get worse, but it does. By now, Mike Brown, he's talking and being public about the recent revelations that he's made. And soon, he picked up on the other suspicious aspects of the case against Adam. And these revelations would be shocking. And apparently, Officer Mike Brown had seen something on social media or on Adam's page. And he contacted the family and said, that is utter bullshit. I am the person who actually discovered Falcon's body. And I am the person who made the report. And I've just learned that they prosecuted you for theft of Malcolm's wallet. And I am telling you that I found that wallet on his person and turned it over to the sheriff's office. So not only does there go the motive for the entire crime, but, and not only is there a huge Brady violation because they've withheld that exculpatory evidence, but that's gross prosecutorial misconduct. If you recall, the prosecution determined that Adam Brasile's motive for murdering Malcolm Burroughs was robbery. Because remember, Malcolm Burroughs' wallet was missing from the scene and not on his person. But Officer Mike Brown was saying that this story was impossible. And this is because, because when he himself, the real Officer Brown, had discovered the scene of Malcolm's body, he picked up Malcolm's wallet to look inside for identification. In fact, Officer Mike Brown had collected it photographed this wallet, and turned it in as evidence. So clearly, it doesn't take a detective to figure out what's happened here. Obviously, the accidental mix-up between calling Officer Troy Brown to testify on the stand instead of Officer Mike Brown doesn't seem as if it was an accident at all. And now we know why. The prosecution couldn't have the real Officer Brown testify, otherwise he would blow the state's case by being truthful about the investigative steps he took in terms of this wallet. The state's robbery motive was blown. Clearly, no robbery had taken place if a wallet filled with cash was left on the murder victim. So what the heck happened here? Where did the wallet go? Who was in charge of the mishandling and tarnishing of this case? But even more important, if Adam didn't kill Malcolm Burroughs, who did? When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code degree 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. By this point in our story, Officer Brown, the real Officer Brown, has been made painfully aware that the wrong person testified on his behalf during Adam Brasile's original murder trial in 2007. The revelations presented by Mike Brown were explosive, and they called into question the integrity of Adam Brasile's trial, not to mention the lack of forensic evidence and now questionable eyewitness testimony. So Brown claimed that he collected, took photos of, and wrote observations about the scene and evidence in a police report. But there was no such evidence in the case file that these reports ever existed. There was no trace of the wallet either, not the wallet itself, or the documentation of it. And if that was the case, said Mike Brown, then he believed that the case records were mistaken or doctored. When they had two officers involved in this case that had the same last name, it was really easy for them to bring in one officer to testify in another's place, especially when that one officer had already moved on to another jurisdiction and it wasn't that hard to say, well, he's moved on. He doesn't really care about this anymore. Anyway, we'll just bring in the other office in Brown to testify in his place. And while we're doing that, then, you know, we can have him say whatever we need to have him say to make this case fit. There were tons of coincidences in this case. 
Yes, tons of coincidences. Which is the reason the public didn't think twice about what was happening in court and why no one questioned the integrity of the investigation. On one hand, it is really easy to see why they looked at Adam as a suspect. It, it still is really immoral and unjust to bend the rules, even if you do think you have the right person. That's why we have a judicial system that has a system of checks and balances and why we have a jury of our peers to make that final decision. If we bend the rules to sort of fix, if you will, what that jury hears, then we have destroyed that system. But wait, there's more. The bombs kept falling. It's at this point that a jail inmate came forward and said that a former friend of hers, a man named Kermit Eugene Bryson, had admitted to her that it was actually he who had killed Malcolm Burroughs. This woman's name was Elizabeth Rector. And she said that she was with Kermit one night after Malcolm's murder. And they were partying, they were taking pills. And Kermit turned to her and decided that he needed to get some stuff off of his chest. Hey, just said that he had killed Malcolm. You didn't ask question, why is that? Well, that's something big. Sometimes y'all want to know all the answers to all the questions. And you're coming forward now because why? It needs to be out there. What they made him do after all of this came to light, they, the prosecutor still would not let go. What he had to do to get out, and he at first refused, and that's what made me think they exonerated him, because he had said, I will not plead guilty to anything. I will die in prison before I do that. He wound up pleading guilty to assault, Becky's assault to get out. I was so thrilled for him. I always thought something was wrong with the forensic evidence. I just knew that there was no way that whoever did this could have gotten into a vehicle and left zero evidence in it. I just knew that. Anyone who thinks logically would, would and knows anything about forensics would know that. So who is Kermit Bryson exactly? So Bryson would have been 27 years old on the night of Malcolm Burroughs' killing. At the time, he was out on parole after an aggravated burglary conviction. And what did Kermit Bryson look like, you may be wondering? Well, he had a slight build, he had red hair, and he had freckles. He looked almost identical to Adam Presiel. And I bet you you're wondering what kind of car he drove. Bryson was known to drive his girlfriend's gold 1998 Ford Escort. And beyond that, he had a long history of breaking the law. In 97, theft under 500. In 98, he was caught driving with a suspended license. 98, again, a muffler violation. And then 99, he escalated and was found guilty of theft of property and burglary, which landed him in prison in 2000. Kermit was eventually released from prison, and he was free in 2006 when Malcolm Burroughs was murdered. And then, on June 5th of 2008, Bryson shot Deputy Shane Tate when the officer showed up to serve him a probation violation warrant. The murder resulted in a police chase, followed with a standoff with officers. And during that standoff, he died by suicide. By 2017, Adam was 34 years old and back in prison. 
By this point, Becky Hill, Malcolm's sister, who had identified Brasile in that photo lineup as the man who almost beat her to death, she had passed away. Things outwardly looked grim for Brasile. He had been convicted. He had an appeal denied. He had an appeal granted. He had been granted a new trial. He had been freed and had that decision reversed and sent back to prison. Think of how devastating that is. But behind the scenes, there was movement. Fingerprint evidence taken from the Burroughs murder scene was being re-examined by the TBI. And the results would yield jaw-dropping results. And that's because these fingerprints, which were found on the passenger door handle of Malcolm Burroughs Chrysler at the murder scene, belonged not to Adam Brasile, but you guessed it, Kermit Bryson. The TBI had a fingerprint from the car, from Becky's car. For whatever reason, they retested this fingerprint. And it turns out that this fingerprint comes back as a match. And it matches Kermit Bryson. And guess what he looks like? Slight build, red hair, freckles. Despite these revelations, two more years dragged on until Adam Brazil was given an appeal hearing in 2019 to see if he'd be granted another trial. And during this hearing, prosecutors and defense would argue over the pitfalls of eyewitness testimony, the fingerprint evidence, and the police and prosecutorial misconduct that landed Adam Brazil behind bars. Evidence presented at this hearing included testimony from Elizabeth Rector, who you heard about, who said Kermit had confessed to her that he'd actually been the one to kill Malcolm Burroughs. Then, of course, Officer Mike Brown, the real Officer Mike Brown, who was supposed to be on the stand in the first place in the original 2007 trial. His testimony was also heard. He said, quote, I saw how bloody and messy it was. Whoever did it would have been covered in blood. And Officer Brown, the real one, pointed this out because, as we know, there was absolutely no blood or forensic evidence proving that Adam Brazil had been anywhere near any kind of murder, especially not one as bloody and vicious as Malcolm Burroughs' beating. There was no blood on him, on the car, or on anything. Real Officer Brown's testimony also included the suspicious vanishing of Malcolm's wallet from the entered evidence and how the documentation of said wallet also mysteriously vanished and seemed to have been doctored. The prosecutor, Steve Strain, and he was also the original prosecutor in the 2007 case, he questioned Brown, and he insinuated that real Officer Brown was lying or had made this up as if he'd had any motives to do so. But there was more evidence that pointed to Adam's innocence that his defense planned to introduce during the hearing. First, Kermit Bryson's fingerprints were found at the scene. And second, there was that photo lineup that was used when Becky Hill identified Adam Brasile as the killer. And this is because it came to light that there was a huge problem with the way that the lineup was conducted. That lineup, put together by a former Grundy County Sheriff named Brent Myers, contained almost no one who looked like the description of the redheaded man except Brasile. By the end of the hearing, the writing was kind of on the wall for how this whole thing was going to go down. And the prosecution, in essence, they had to fold. It was clear that Adam's case had been horribly botched. The state offered Adam Brasile a deal, surrendering in the fight to keep him in prison. So this was the deal. In exchange for a plea to the most minor of the available charges, which was aggravated assault, and he already served more time than he could have for being sentenced for that charge, Adam Brasile admitted a best interest plea, also known as an Alfred plea. 
meaning he did not admit guilt but acknowledged that prosecutors had enough evidence to convict, even though, in my opinion and probably all yours' opinion, they didn't. Now, this plea, in essence, spared prosecutors the appearance of a loss on paper and meant Brasile would walk free, but on paper, he would still be a felon. And it also meant that he wouldn't be able to sue the state for wrongful imprisonment. Adam Brasile walked out of prison at 36 years old as a free man after serving a total of 12 years in prison. By August of 2019, Adam Brasile was finally free. But it's obvious he lost a great deal in the process. Adam's wife had left him due to all the stress of the case in the media circus. And his family, in the process, had to sell land assets to pay for defense attorneys. The court cases cost him and his family over $260,000. And even after his Alford plea, Adam Brasile is still considered a convicted felon. When it's clear by now, to a discerning eye of any sort, that he is innocent. Knowing his family and knowing how much they love him, it just made me feel so much better. I'm just hoping that that he can be fully exonerated in her lifetime. Then, on February 14th of 2020, Adam Brasile's defense attorney filed for the state of Tennessee to grant him clemency for aggravated assault. So he's looking for a full exoneration. A Grundy County man wrongfully convicted of murder will ask the state to clear his name tomorrow. I spent 12 years in prison not knowing if I'd ever come home completely innocent. It's a travesty of justice what's happened to me. It shouldn't have happened. Adam Brasile's attorney, Alex Little, said during an interview about Adam, his hope is to be exonerated in time for his ailing mother to witness. We don't know how much longer mom is going to be around. And he continued, this particular nightmare is a singular one brought about against Mr. Brasile. He is seeking today for this board and ultimately for the governor to end that nightmare and clear his name. In June of 2020, the Tennessee Board of Pardons and Paroles unanimously, from a 7-0 margin, recommended to the governor that Brasile is innocent and should be exonerated. And although the board found Brasile innocent and recommended that the governor exonerate him, the decision will ultimately be left to Governor Lee to decide. I think that with regard to law enforcement, initially, once they had one suspect identified and things started to add up for them. We have a suspect who fits the description, who drives the right car, even has the right color baseball cap in the car. Once those puzzle pieces started clicking into place, I I feel like they had tunnel vision and didn't feel a need to look any further. Then from the prosecution standpoint, they don't want to prosecute a case unless they feel like they're, they're going to win. And if there's any question about whether they can win a case, they are going to stack the deck every time without fail to ensure that they're going to win it. We ask Karen how she feels when she looks back on this experience. Having been connected from so many different angles, knowing Malcolm Burroughs, having a connection to Adam Brasile, and then later covering the trial as a journalist. I think probably more difficult than usual to remain unbiased. You feel for each side. It was sort of like a seesaw, you know, with emotions going back and forth. Obviously, then when he was convicted, I felt 
so badly for his family when he was taken to jail, and it was awful. I encountered him outside in the parking lot, and it was absolutely horrible. Then later, when all of this started coming out about corruption in the judicial system, and especially after having watched things like Making a Murder, you think you know how far they'll go. And then to have it come up in your own hometown, you think, these people wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. Hopefully, it'll be rectified soon, and and Adam will have not just his physical freedom, but be free from that that felony conviction, as he should be. Adam Brasil still awaits an official exoneration. I'll never quit considering, you know, all that's been done and trying to process it and and trying to do that for others because I know it's made a difference in my life, in our life. I hope to spend time in the penitentiary, in the county jails, and uh, not as a, not as a, uh, not as a, someone that's been arrested for some wrongdoing, but, you know, to give back. It forced me to be put in a situation, and that situation indeed has been a blessing in disguise. This case is no doubt one of those that is stranger than fiction, which makes us reflect on this idea again of coincidences and how much we should trust or rely on them or whether we should at all. And if we're to use Adam Brasile's story as a case study, then the answer would be coincidences should never be trusted with certainty. Sometimes there's no more to them than fate or in Adam's case, terrible, terrible luck. Okay, well, a huge, huge thank you to Karen for being our first degree for this episode and the last episode. If you are listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the first degree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group by searching the first degree in the search bar. We are talking true crime all of the time. And we are forgoing killing time this week because I ate some bad Thai food and I need to spend the rest of the night in bed. Sorry, guys. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for his sound design and creating original music for The First Degree. Our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Sources for today's episode include Knox News, Grundy County Herald, Fox 17, WSMV, USA Today, Burr.com, court documents, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source.